So our family, like you, probably the, a few weeks ago, we might have done this earlier than many of you, uh, but when we decorated for Christmas, of course, we get everything out of the attic, we get everything set up, uh, we ran into a problem. I kind of alluded to this a few weeks ago. I still haven't moved past it yet, and so I just need to get it off my chest, because we get everything out, we get everything kind of set up, and when we get that tree, and this is like our living room, our main Christmas tree, we have multiple Christmas trees in our house, but we get the main one set up, and I don't know if you remember the Garfield Christmas scene where they like plug in the tree and everybody, the whole family just does the oohs and the ahs, you know what I'm talking about? And so I love that moment with our family. I love being able to get everything set up and then we like plug in the lights and everybody says, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. And we get all excited about it. Instead, though, this last time we plugged in our pre-lit Christmas tree and this is what it plugged into and this is what it looked like. Halfway there, halfway there, so disappointing, right? You can imagine, there's no ooh and ah with that. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. My, my pre-lit tree is only halfway working. So then I had, I had a dilemma. Becky and I had this conversation and we looked at that and my first response is, it'll be fine. No one's gonna notice. We'll just put some more, some more ornaments around that section. Like, it'll be fine. I know the reality is that my pre-lit tree is no longer working, but surely we can be fine. And Becky's like, no, Brian. We're not gonna just leave our tree that way. We have to go get another tree. I'm like, well, how much does a new pre-lit tree cost? And then I said, we're fine. Just leave it like that. It'll be fine. We do this all the time. By the way, she won. We went home, Home Depot, got us another tree, and then we got rid of that one. But we do this all the time. We are faced with reality. We are faced with the truth. And then we have a choice to make. I'm going to acknowledge that that is true. I'm going to acknowledge that that is the reality. Am I going to adjust and change and respond according to that truth? Or am I just going to ignore it and do what I want to do? Right? That's a constant dilemma we are dealing with every single day. And even on the small things. So for example, like this morning is a great example. So you woke up this morning and either you checked your phone or you looked outside and you said, the reality is it is raining. That's the truth. So then you acknowledge that truth. Yes, I can see that it is raining. Now you have a choice to make. Am I going to adjust according to the truth? Or am I just going to do what I was going to do anyway? I would say most of you as adults would look and say, it's raining, so I'm going to then get an umbrella because I'm adjusting to the truth. If you're like my kids, you're like, ah, who cares? They ignored the truth, and that's why they're all wet this morning. You also, as an adult, would look outside, or you look at your phone, or you step outside, and you say, oh, the reality is it is cold. It is not summertime anymore. It is cold. That's the truth. We acknowledge the truth. We recognize the truth. Then we have a choice to make. Am I going to change and adjust and respond according to the truth and reality? Or am I just going to do whatever I want to do? Most of us probably said, I'm going to grab a coat. I'm going to, I'm going to dress according to the weather. Once again, I'm not picking on my children, but they just beat to their own drum sometimes. So it's like, no, nah, I'm going to wear shorts anyway. I'm like, you realize that it's cold and rainy outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just going to wear my shorts. Okay, right? We always are dealing with that reality of here's the reality. What is my response to the reality? Here's the truth. Am I going to acknowledge and adjust and respond and even change 
according to the truth. I want that concept kind of rattling around in your heart and your mind this morning. In fact, that's, that's what we're told. That's why Luke wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter one, verse three. Luke wrote and said, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, he's talking about the life of Jesus. He says, after carefully investigating everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So you can be certain of the what? Certain of the truth. So you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So you can be certain of the truth. We're faced with the truth. We are given the truth. We are dealing with the reality of truth, God's truth. Well, what do we do with that? Do I acknowledge it and respond and adjust and change according to his word? Or I hear that, but I'm just gonna continue to do and live the way that I want to live. Those are constantly a decision, that's constantly a decision that we are wrestling with. So as we go through the Christmas story, I mentioned this last week, I want you to be looking for the truths that Luke is helping us understand and acknowledge throughout the Christmas story. Because it's not just, oh, the Christmas story, it's here are the truths of Christmas story. And as we're gonna specifically look at Mary within the Christmas story today, look for the truths within the story, but also look at how Mary had to adjust. Look at how Mary had to respond to the truths. And those truths that we're gonna read are the same truths that we can hold on to today. So let me pray for us and then we'll open up God's word and look for the truths and how we are to respond to them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the truths that we get from your word. Thank you that you don't just expect us to figure it out on our own. Thank you for the grace for when we don't follow your word and your ways. I pray that you would continue through your Holy Spirit. Show us what, what you want to do within us. Show us how you want to grow us. Show us the next steps you want us to take within our faith. God, if there's anything that we need to, to work on to become more and more like your son, Jesus, would your Holy Spirit show that to us? And may we live and walk in the grace that you give us, not the guilt and the shame, but to walk in the freedom that is given because of your grace and through your son. Thank you for the Christmas story and the truths that we're about to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter one, we are just through the Christmas season. We are going through Luke chapter one and two to find, as Luke would say, find those truths that we can be certain of. So we're gonna pick up in Luke chapter one, verse 26. We're gonna break it up into a few sections, talk about it, look for the truths, and then ultimately, how do we respond? What's the choice that we have in regards to the truth that is within the Christmas story? Luke one, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist last week. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Say that with me. I mean, that is... That is significant for us to not look over. Say it with me. The Lord is with you. Verse 29, confused and disturbed, which is very understandable, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Like, why is he here? What's happening? Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. What's the truth, not just for Mary, but what's the truth that we get from God's word that applies to us as well? It's what we just said together. The Lord is with you. And again, if you know some of your Old Testament and there's a prophecy from Isaiah that even speaks to, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means 
God with us. Yes, that God is with you. And if, if you could try your best to, to be in Mary's situation where you are confused and disturbed, forget for a moment the angel moment and, and the part of the Christmas story, just the emotions of confused and disturbed. I think we can all relate to that in some way. Maybe that's your life right now. There's just a lot of confusion. You're not sure what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to handle it. Maybe you are disturbed and there's a lot of anxiety or worry or you're distraught or even flustered and frustrated. So those emotions that she was experiencing, I think we can all relate to that. There's a lot of Mary's story that I most certainly cannot relate to, but I can relate to that. Confused and disturbed. And I love that the angel Gabriel wanted to make sure she knew the truth. The Lord is with you. For some of you, that's just what you needed to hear today. You just needed to hold on to that, that God is with you. He is not far away and distant. He is close. He is with you. He is involved in your life. He is closer than you think. What a great truth for Mary to hear at the very beginning. The Lord is with you. Then Gabriel goes on and begins to explain, here's why I'm here. Here's the news that I want to share with you. Goes and he explains, notice it's not just what's about to happen, but the angel is giving more specifically, here's who Jesus is. Notice the truths that he says about Jesus. Verse 31, Gabriel goes on and explains, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and we will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we're gonna pause, kind of hit timeout, and we're gonna stay in this section for quite a while. Because in this section, like I said, it's not just Gabriel coming to, to Mary and saying, hey, here's what's about to happen. You're gonna get pregnant. I'll explain that in a second, but, but you're gonna have a baby. He could have just ended there. But instead, he chose to give some truths and realities and, to, and insight into not just you're going to have a baby, but here's the truth of who he is, who he will be. And Gabriel gives this list. He talks about his name, Jesus, and he says he's going to be very great. He'll be called the son of the most high. God will give him the throne. He will reign in his reign. His kingdom will never end. So let's kind of break those down into the truths that Gabriel has given Mary, because those are the same truths that are still true about Jesus today. Still true. He starts with saying what his name will be. The truth of his name is Jesus. And Jesus, if you look at the actual meaning of the name Jesus, it literally means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. The Hebrew version of the name Jesus would have been Yeshua or what we would then say Joshua. That name literally means God saves. And so even from the name that Gabriel says, no, you're not just gonna have a baby, you're gonna have a baby, you're to name him Jesus. Just by that name, we already get to understand the truth of Jesus. He came to save us. It's his purpose. The purpose of Jesus is within his name. He came to save us. Jesus is our savior. That's the truth. That's what Gabriel wanted, not just Mary to understand, but as we're reading this account thousands of years later, that's what Luke wanted us to make sure that we knew. Remember what he said earlier in chapter one? I've, I've investigated this. I've carefully looked into everything so that you can be certain of the truth. What's the truth we can be certain of? That Jesus is our savior. John 3, 16 and 17 backs that truth up. Many of you know this. 
For, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Many of us know that one, but verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to what the world? But to save the world through him. Notice it's through Jesus. Later, Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So he is the Savior. It's not a Savior. It's not one of the Saviors. It's not one choice within Saviors. It's no, the world will be saved through him and only him. What's the truth that Luke wants to make sure we understand? Yes, he's with you, but he is your savior. He is how we have a restored and reconciled relationship with God. He is how we have a personal, deep, and meaningful relationship with God. See, it's not just about heaven and eternity. Like that is a huge piece. We do not want to overlook that. But understand that that relationship begins the moment we believe in him. Like as a savior, it's not like he's my savior for later. He's my savior starting today. And that goes into all of eternity, but that doesn't start when eternity begins. That begins with us today. He is our savior. Then Gabriel said, not just about his name, but said he will be very great. The idea of very great here is, is this powerful picture that he is very great. Nothing is bigger than him. Nothing can contain him. Nothing can hold him back. There's nothing that could, could move him, but he can move anything and everything. That he is, the truth would be that Jesus is all powerful. Nothing has power over him. And we see this as we read through the rest of the gospels, not just in Luke's account, but in Matthew, Mark, as well as John, we see the power of Jesus. We see Jesus have power over wind. We see Jesus have power over the waves. We see Jesus have power over storms. We see Jesus having power over all of creation, even over physics as he walks on water. We see Jesus having power over the demons, even the spiritual realm. We see Jesus have power over disease. We see Jesus have power over sickness. Like those are all in the miracles. When you're reading the miracles of Jesus, you're seeing the power of Jesus come through. But he doesn't stop there, does it? No. Jesus has power over death itself. For himself, we have multiple stories of Jesus raising others from the dead. And ultimately, because he came to save us, not just to show off his power, he came to save us by having power over sin, by taking our sins away for what he did on the cross. His sacrifice on the cross defeated both sin and death. His resurrection is what gives us hope in life, now and all of eternity. Jesus is great. He has power. And that power became evident as people were noticing all that Jesus was doing. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen. I'm just gonna give you a couple snippets as we go through these. Uh, just another page over, at least in my Bible, Luke chapter four, Jesus started doing some of these miracles. One of those miracles was a healing of a demon-possessed person. And after, the, after Jesus showed power over that demon, that evil spirit, verse 36, amazed people exclaimed. They were amazed, like, no one else has been able to do this before. No one else has had power to do this before. And look what they exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess, what power this man has. Even evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command. That's the power of Jesus. So Luke, based on the words of Gabriel, wanted to make sure that we all knew that God is with us, the Lord is with us. 
that he came to save us. Jesus is our savior and he is all powerful. Then Gabriel in that same breath, in that same sentence, and will be called the son of the most high God. The son of the most high God. Here's the truth that we wanna make sure we understand that Luke wants to get across here, that the angel Gabriel wanna make sure that Mary understood, that Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. That's a whole other discussion and dialogue we can have at another point if that's super confusing, which yes, it can be. Happy to talk with you through Trinity and what that looks like. But Jesus is God. If we're not careful, we'll read through scripture and we'll be like, oh, what a really nice man. Oh, he was really helpful. Oh, how much compassion he had. Oh, how helpful he was. But if we're not careful, we will minimize who Jesus was to just a really good, nice, inspirational teacher and healer. And he was those, but he is God. And he made sure that people knew that. And this got people super mad, thus the crucifixion not long after this. John chapter 8 He's having some discussions with religious leaders specifically, and they start asking Jesus the big question. Honestly, this is a big question for us to ask too. Who are you? Who is he? They even ask that John chapter eight, verse 53. They're saying, so who do you think you are? Like, here's who some of our ancestors are. Here's some of the great prophets in our history. So Jesus, who do you think you are? Who are you? And Jesus' response is so good here. This is like drop the mic moment for Jesus. John chapter eight, verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Now that I am is important. I need to talk about it just for a second so we don't just gloss over it. I am is what do you notice? All what? It's all caps. You'll see that in your print Bible as well. The reason behind that is, again, if you read context of John chapter eight, you'll see that the religious leaders were trying to ask Jesus, like I mentioned, well, here's who Abraham was and here's who Isaiah was and about Elijah and Elisha, like they were great. So you're saying you're better than they are? That's what they were getting at with Jesus. Do you think you're better than all of our ancestors? And Jesus said, not just better, I am I am, if you think back to the story of Moses, when Moses is out in the wilderness, this is before the whole Pharaoh and 10 plagues deal. He's out, in the, he's out in the wilderness and then the burning bush moment happens where God and Moses have a dialogue. And God says, I wanna send you to be the deliverer, the rescuer of my people. Sound familiar a little bit later with Jesus? And in that moment, Moses gets real nervous and he has a whole lot of excuses on why he shouldn't go. That's again, another topic. But one of the big questions was, well, who do I say sent me? Like if I go and I start talking to Pharaoh and all of your people and I say, a bush told me to tell you, like that's not gonna go over well. And so God looks at Moses through the burning bush and says, tell them I am sent you. He said, that's his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And so for Jesus to look at the religious leaders and to refer to himself as that same name, I am, he's saying, no, I am more than just a good man. I am more than Moses. I am more than Abraham. I am more than Elijah. I am more than Elisha. I am more, because I am God. I'm God in the flesh. John chapter one, uh, he gives a very poetic way of describing this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then the word became flesh to dwell among us. Right, so he is God. Don't allow the, the kindness and the compassion and the humanity of Christ to in any way diminish the deity of Christ. He's not half and half. This isn't like half God, half man. This is fully God and fully man. Yes. 
that our brains most certainly cannot comprehend. So what's the truth that we need to make sure we know? He is God. So he is with us. He came to save us. He's our savior. He is all powerful and he is God that put on flesh. Then we see the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign. That moves from from deity, God-type language, spiritual language, and it now moves to like kingship language. What's the truth that Gabriel wanted Mary to know and Luke wanted us to know years and years later is that Jesus is the king. He He has come to reign and he has come to rule. Now, typically when we think of a king, we think of bowing underneath the authority of that king, that we submit to the power and the rule of that king. And that is absolutely part of it. In fact, Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter two. Verse nine, Paul writes, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is king to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus most certainly is king, and we absolutely are underneath the authority of our king, that he's the king and I'm not, that he directs and I follow, that he speaks and I listen. He says this way, and I say, I will follow you, his ways, right? But there's another aspect of king that we don't always think of, and sometimes we even think of the kingship of Jesus as well, I just, it means I just have to be under authority. And we don't always like to be underneath authority. So sometimes we even find ourselves resistant to Jesus' kingship. But think of what a good king also does. Yes, they have authority. Yes, Jesus has ultimate authority. But you know what a good king does? Provides and protects for those in his kingdom. Right? That's what a good king does. And so when we live under the kingship of Jesus, yes, we do. Just like Paul wrote in Philippians, yes, we bow And we lift up his name and we are under the authority of Jesus. But because we are under his authority, we are also under his protection. We are also under his provision. And what a beautiful picture of King Jesus, not reigning and ruling just to be in charge, but to take care of those in his kingdom, to provide for them, to protect them, to be there. What have we learned already? To be with them to save them, to be our rescuer. Yes, he is God, but yes, he is also a king, a king that takes care of those in his kingdom. So he will reign over Israel, an important word here, forever, and his kingdom will never end. The last truth that Gabriel was getting across in this section is that Jesus is eternal. And Luke wanted to make sure we understood that. Kingdoms rise and fall. Leaders live and die. Movements come and go, but Jesus is eternal and his kingdom will never end. If you wanna be part of a kingdom, you wanna be part of the kingdom that never ends. If you wanna submit yourself to to a king, it's gonna be a king that's rule and reign will never end. That protection never goes away. That provision never goes away. It actually gets a whole lot better over time. He is eternal. Hebrews speaks to this as well. The author of Hebrew wrote, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not temporary. He's not here for a little bit and then moves on to something else. He's not here and, oh man, it gets really hard. So you know what? It's not working out. It's not worth it anymore. Like don't allow eternity, the idea of Jesus and his kingdom being eternal to just put your mind in heaven. 
that means he is still here. He is still moving. He is still active. He has not given up on you. And he's not done yet. His kingdom is eternal as he is eternal. That's a lot for Mary to take in, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot for us to take in, that he is with us and he is savior, that he is all powerful, that he is God. That truth alone causes us to just have to think through it. But he is king. He will last forever. His kingdom will last forever. That's a lot to take in. So Mary's next uh, response is completely understandable. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Now, real quick, if you were here last week, we spent a lot of time talking about Zachariah, who also had a message from Gabriel. Gabriel answered Zachariah very differently than what we're going to see from Mary here. If you read through the story of Zachariah, uh, he questioned what Gabriel said and ended up not being able to speak for nine months until his son was born. Like, there's a whole story, read it. So many times people are asking, well, why did Mary get treated so differently? What did God have, what did Gabriel have against Zechariah? Real quick, not to go on a rabbit trail, but real quick, here's the difference. Zechariah's response, if you look back, he said, his question was, how can I be certain this will happen to me? In other words, can you really do this? Can you really do, I need some more proof that you can do what you say you're gonna do. That's what that phrase meant. Mary's question is, I believe you can do it. I just don't understand how this is gonna happen. Like, help me understand. Those are very different postures. When we come before God, especially in prayer, have doubts, have the doubts. But in light of the truths that we just went through, it's not, can you do this? It's help me understand how you will. Those are two very different postures. And again, Zachariah was still, not like he was shunned, but there was a consequence to the way that he approached God. And right as we're gonna see, there's a lot of grace and compassion in how God, through Gabriel, would, would respond. So verse 35, here's how the angel replied. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth, again, the story we read last week, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Here's the truth, verse 37 for the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. In the Greek, which is what Luke was writing in, uh, that phrase for the word of God will never fail is actually only three words. It's these words, nothing, impossible, and God. Those three words we put together and then we would translate, for the word of God will never fail, or maybe more literally, for nothing is impossible with God. And you know that Gabriel has to include that truth. As Mary has a very honest and reasonable question, like, I believe you and I believe God can do it. I just don't know how he's gonna do it. And here Gabriel's trying to explain, and it's kind of funny. I imagine Gabriel like trying to explain how this is all gonna work. And you could just imagine Mary's eyes just glazing over, like, I don't understand anything of what you're saying right now. And so Gabriel's like, because God said so. It's pretty much how that ended because nothing is impossible with God, for the word of God will never fail. That's a lot of truths that Luke wanted to make sure that we understood. That's a lot of truth that Gabriel wanted to make sure that Mary knew. So even with all of those truths, we go back to the original question I started with is, what do we do with the truth? Acknowledging the truth is the first part, but what are the decisions we make based on the truth? 
If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus and you follow him, I think this is one of our hardest things that we deal with daily, is not ignoring and glossing over the truth in our everyday lives. I believe in the truth. I know the truth. Oh, but does that impact every waking moment of my life? That he is with me, that he is my savior, that he is all powerful, that he is God and he is king. He lasts forever and nothing he says will ever fail. Is that truth lived out in my everyday life? Do I acknowledge that truth and are my decisions based on that every single day? How often do, I mean, let's, I'll talk to myself on this one. How often do we even think of those truths? Or do we just go through our everyday knowing it, but it's in the back of our mind and it does not have an impact on our everyday? So I want us to wrestle there for the last part of this morning. How do we respond when we know the truth of who Jesus is, not was, but is for us today and will continue to be in our everyday lives. Same way we started. If your pre-lit Christmas tree, half of it goes out, you acknowledge the truth and then you go get a new one. If it's raining outside, you acknowledge the truth and you go get an umbrella. If it's cold, you put on a coat. How do we respond based on the truth of who Jesus is? Let me help with you. This was helpful for me in my study this week. I just listed out the truths that we just went through, but I did it with a response in mind. So there are the truths that the Lord is with us. He's our savior. He's all powerful. He is God. He's the king. He's eternal. And God never fails. The word of God will never return void. So based on the truth, how do I respond? So because of the truth that the Lord is with us, What does that do for me today? What does that do in my thinking today? What does that do with my actions today? Because Jesus is our savior and his purpose was come and to save me. What is my response to that truth? Not one time, but every single day because Jesus is all powerful and he is bigger and greater than anything or anyone. What does that mean for me today? Because Jesus is God, not just a good man what does that mean for me? What is the I part of that? Because Jesus is the king. What does that mean for me today? Because Jesus is eternal, because God never fails. I think this would be great to begin to wrestle with personally. I've done that this week as I've done my study and I've done my prayers. I just wanna share some of these with mine. Now you're welcome to steal mine, but I would think it would be helpful if you did this on your own. But maybe this helps you think of where I'm, I'm trying to take us. For me personally, because the Lord is with us, for me personally, I have peace knowing that he's not just someplace somewhere, but because he's walking with me, I have peace. Because Jesus is our savior and because he's my savior, I believe in him. What he says, I believe because he came for me. I believe. Because Jesus is all powerful, I have confidence. I do not have confidence in myself. I have confidence in the one who is all powerful, who is very great and is greater than anything or anyone. Because Jesus is God, I have comfort. Because he's God, Hebrews tells us that he lived the perfect life but experienced everything that we experience. So he can empathize with me. He knows what it's like. So I find comfort in that. Because Jesus is the king, I was wrestling, so I've got two on this one. I surrender, right? I surrender under his authority, but I also have security because of the provision and the protection that we get when we are underneath the authority of our king, when we are within his kingdom. 
Because Jesus is eternal, I have hope. I have so much hope. No matter what we deal with today, I know that that is just small compared to an, eternal, an eternity with Jesus. So I have hope. Because God never fails, I trust him. My trust is firmly with him. I don't have to understand it. I don't need to, to fully grasp it, just like Mary. I don't understand how this is gonna work out. I don't understand this is gonna happen, but I trust that your word never fails and he has my trust. How do you respond to the truth? Mary's response was a lot more eloquent than mine would ever be. Verse 38, based on all the truths that she heard from Gabriel, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Isn't that a beautiful response? I am the Lord's servant. Yes. Mary gave God her yes. What I love about that is even though Gabriel kind of gave some details, he did not explain the whole thing. Well, here's how this is gonna happen. And here's how this is gonna end at the cross. Mary, with really having very, very little information, said, yes, I am the Lord's servant. There's a few phrases that I could pinpoint in my life that have radically changed my life. Just a few of them. I do. On June 28, 2008, when I stood before my now wife, Brian, will you promise to? There was a long list. I do. I do. Changed my life from that moment on. The moment where I said the phrase, it's a boy, and I became a dad for the very first time. And then I said, it's a boy again, and then I said, it's a girl, and my life really changed on that one. My life was never the same after I said those. The phrase, we're moving. When we lived in California and we decided to plant a church in a town we had never heard of before called Dawsonville, Georgia. Changed our lives forever. And this phrase. I am the Lord's servant. Forever changes your life. We don't even know how it changes our life sometimes. But when we give him our yes, who knows what he'll do with us and through us and in us. And difficulties come and our yes stays the same. And trials get difficult, but he still has our yes. And we don't understand and there's a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainties, but yes, I am a servant of the Lord. Could you imagine how different our lives would look if that was our first response all the time, every time? We wake up in the morning, today I am the Lord's servant. And we get in our car and start going into traffic. Yes, I am the Lord's servant. What would a servant think? What would a servant do? What would a servant not do? What would a servant not think? As I'm parenting my kids, first I'm the Lord's servant. As I'm being a husband, first I'm the Lord's servant. As I get bad news, yes, but I'm the Lord's servant. When tensions get high and conflicts arise, I first am the Lord's servant. When I log onto social media, yes, I am the Lord's servant. That might be a phrase that could change your life. 
when you recognize the truth of who Jesus is today, that he is with you, that he came to save you, that he is great and all-powerful, that he is God, and he is also our king, that his kingdom will last forever, and nothing is impossible with God. I cannot think of another response that would be more appropriate than what Mary said. Yes, my answer is yes. I am the Lord's servant. I'm gonna pull the lights down for us and I'm gonna give you just a moment to kind of have that dialogue with your Lord. Have you said yes to him before? If not, you have to start there. The truths of who Jesus is begins with a relationship with Jesus. It begins with what Romans 10 would tell us. We acknowledge the truth that yes, when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, when we believe that he is who he said he is, and we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. We start there, acknowledge the truth and respond to the truth. If you've made that decision, that's not one and done. The rest of our lives is constantly making decisions and responding to the truths of who Jesus is. So take a moment between you and the Lord and let me pray over you. Lord, thank you so much for who you are today, for who you have been, who you are, and who you always will be. Holy Spirit, would you keep the truths of who you are constantly in front of us? It's easy to know the truth, but not live according to the truth. It's easy to know of the truth, but not allow that truth to impact our daily lives. So Holy Spirit, would you search us, our hearts and our minds, begin to point out aspects of our lives where we need to maybe lean in a little bit more. Not with guilt and shame, but with freedom and grace. Thank you for the word that we have, the word of truth, that it will never fail. And it continues to help us to become more and more and more trusting of you and more and more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.